Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not fat. I'm just so sexy that it overflows. And that sets the tone for today's show because America is a country where half our money is spent buying food and the other half is spent trying to lose weight. We spend half our time worrying about what to eat and the other half in worrying about how to shed it off. Our obsession to lose weight is only matched by our obsession to consume. And navigating weight loss is familiar to all of us. But what's the real truth behind everything that's put in front of us? Do you think you're overweight? Can you be on your way to obesity? What's the difference? Well, this show's about to set the record straight. Our guest today is Dr. Diane Hess, and she sits on the American Board of Obesity Medicine. She was recently named one of New York's top doctors by New York Magazine. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you for having me. Well, tell me something. Why, as human beings, do we continue to do things when we're fully aware that it's bad for us? You know, things like smoking, drinking, eating... I can understand eating because, you know, we eat to get happy, then we get depressed that we ate, and it becomes a vicious circle. Uh, we, we do these things because they feel good, so they stimulate pleasure receptors in the brain. Uh, that's what most, you know, addiction is, but we could also stimulate pleasure centers in the brain with other things like exercise that, mm. you know, increases your endorphins. So, but it's usually because you get a, an instant gratification and a pleasure, in the pleasure part of your brain, especially when we're talking about eating, especially with, with sweets for most people and some people for salt, salty foods as well. So there's a psychological issue here that we need to fix before we actually fix our habit then? Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I love being naughty, and eating is a naughty, naughty thing to do, so it does make me feel good. I love eating. That's my passion. <laughs> I love food. But I've, I've really incorporated my love for food and my... Uh, you know, training in medicine to try to help people who eat too much food or make the wrong choices. It's mm. all about balance. I'm not one of those doctors who is extreme and will tell families to do these extreme diets like gluten-free or this-free or that-free or vegan or paleo because those things to me are very temporary and very extreme, usually very expensive as well. Um, I think that we have to learn how to live in, in a society that we are tempted by these things every day yeah. and we have to make healthy decisions you know it's about balance so if i if i have that cheese danish at the morning meeting maybe i'll you know ride the exercise bicycle in front of the tv tonight when i go home things like that so it's it's about you know balancing it now you're on the american board of obesity so what's the difference between being overweight and being obese it's about it's about the the amount of excess fat that you have so you know there's normal weight and then you have this overweight which is in this little gray area where you're we, doctors use a tool called a body mass index, which is just a tool when we, we calculate your weight and your height, and we use a, we use a calculation mm. to calculate your body mass index. It's just a way for us to compare you to other adults who are your height, at, basically. And, your, you know, and um, in children, it's different because in children, it's based on their age. But for, for adults, we just separate in male and female, and we just are really calculating to see how much excess weight you have. Now, is a body mass index a perfect tool? No, because... A bodybuilder can weigh very much, hmm. right? They, they, are, they are solid muscle, and they weigh more than maybe a person who's the same height as them but is more fat. So, you know, a doctor has to take that number into consideration and then look at the patient's lifestyle, what they're eating, and their body habitus. So there's not one right answer, but the body mass index is the best way for, for the medical professionals to communicate to each other about a person's status of their weight. 
So does one pa- one does one pound of muscle weigh more or less than one pound of fat? Well, I always say it's like fat floats. This is a good <laughs> this is a good way to think about this. Mm. So many of my patients who are obese love swimming. They always say, "Oh, I swim, but I still don't lose weight." But it's easier for a fatter person to swim because fat floats. Think about when you make chicken soup and you come to the refrigerator the next day. All the meat of the chicken is at the bottom and all the fat is at the top. Right. Less dense. Got it? So that's, that's kind of a visual I give. So, yes, the muscle, a person who's more muscular will be heavier, but it doesn't mean they will be fatter. So muscle does weigh more than fat. Mm-hmm. So, is it, mm-hmm. so on that basis, is the majority of America overweight? One-third of Americans are already obese. Yes, one-third. It's not the majority. One-third are obese. One-third are obese. How many are overweight? Mm-hmm. Mm, I would have to look it up. I don't know if I know offhand. Let me look. I actually might have it. But you'd think the majority are. I think it's two-thirds. Uh, yes, two-thirds. Two-thirds of Americans are overweight or obese. And then one out of 20 mm. are extremely obese which is like that morbid obesity term where those people actually can't do their daily living and daily functioning because they are so fat. In this research, is there a geographical tendency where you would find more obese people? Um, it, it Actually, obesity is one of the things that crosses all socioeconomic demographics. Mm-hmm. It really crosses all boundaries. So, yes, in children, we definitely see there are more obese children in inner-city Latina Hispanic and African-American communities, but I work in an affluent neighborhood in New York City, and I still see plenty of overweight and obese children and parents as well. Um, But yes, definitely um, healthier food costs more money. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people where they live, they don't have access to healthy food. A lot of um, people who live in inner cities, you know, the south side of Chicago, you live in Harlem, you live in the Bronx, you don't have a huge supermarket with lots of produce or Whole Foods, or you can't afford it if it opens up. So people go to the local bodega or a little you know, corner store to go food shopping. So it, it, it does, it definitely, and it's harder for people who have less money to access healthy food and to access, you know, to have access to safe places to exercise or join a gym, things like that. Diane, what's the difference between calories and carbs? Because today what I see is, um, sort of a lot of importance given to carbs and maybe a few months ago or a few years ago it was all about calories. So when we talk about carbs, most people are complaining about the white carbs. So it would be things that are refined sugars like white bread, white pasta, french fries, the sugar um, that they put in candy bars and in sugary snacks, in in sodas and in fruit punches. Mm. Uh, Same kind of sugars that are going into, you know, sports drinks that are marketed as healthy. So those are those empty calories. That's, the, that's what people are talking about, carbs. So when they say good carbs, bad carbs, those would be all examples of bad carbs. Good carbs would be like whole grain bread, um, all the boring brown stuff. rice, couscous, mm. um, kasha, things like that, barley. And those are the whole grains. We try, what I try with my patients is to say, when you're picking a bread, you want to see the seeds. So now, nowadays, the whole, the whole wheat bread is so processed and so soft, it's almost like white bread. So it's, that's why little kids like to eat it, because it's so, it's so tasty. Right. Um, but you want to have some texture and some crunch into your bread, because that's, 
the fiber, that's the seed shell that you want to eat. That's the difference between, let's say, instant oatmeal versus oatmeal that your grandmother used to make you in the morning. So your grandmother used to cook oatmeal for 20 minutes because it had to get through that fiber to cook it. But now you have instant oatmeal that you put in hot water and it's done in 20 seconds. It's been stripped of all its fiber. I see some children, when they're eating uh, a slice of bread, they eat everything except the the outer layer of the slice. The crust. The crust, that's right. Um, That doesn't really matter in white bread because there is no fiber in it. So it's not like the crust has something healthier. But if you buy, yeah, if you do buy, um, you know, whole grain bread and they put the seeds on top and they Mm. leave them over, they are, you know, not getting the all the fiber from that bread. But it's usually, it's more about taste. They just don't like the consistency of the, the burnt, the like more burnt edges. Now, there's a whole industry out there that sort of attempts to feed our guilt in order to lose weight. And now juicing has become popular. Well, what, what are your, uh, what's your opinion on, on that? Well, my opinion is everything in moderation. Mm. So I, I'm not a huge fan of juicing, and I've had a lot of kickback from other people. I, I have friends who own juice stands, you know. Um, so what happens in juicing is that you're changing, you're degrading the fruit and you're putting it through a press and you're changing the, 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 what you're getting. You're not getting the whole fruit. You're getting the water mm-hmm. and the sugar from that fruit or vegetable and not all the fiber. That goes in the garbage. That's what they spin out, like all those strings, all those things that we're supposed to crunch and eat. That's going in the garbage, and they're giving you all the water and the sugar. And people say, well, it's natural, but it really doesn't matter if it's natural sugar or calories or calories. So... There's a lot of marketing going on, like, oh, this, this cereal has organic cane sugar and this, you know, organic this and organic, you know, it's still cane sugar. It's still sugar. Mm-hmm. Still going to be the same as the sugar that you get in, you know, a Hershey bar um, for calorie for calorie. So I'm not a huge fan of juicing because I feel that most of most, not all, but most of the juicing processes totally destroy the vegetable or fruit that you've, you know, squished into juice. So, and I just feel that these things become like a fad and extreme. So, you know, you have, you have friends that are like drinking two or three juices a day. And what it really is is like a diuretic because you run to the bathroom all the time because there's such a high sugar content in your stomach. And you're not getting any of that good fiber that you need from the vegetables or the fruit. What about things like orange juice? There's this whole thing about, you know, having a glass of orange juice a day with your breakfast and things like that. Um, and then you have different styles of orange juice. You've got one that's like... In, in a can, and then you have the other ones that that are sold by um, certain organic stores that say this is like fresh orange juice. Right. So it's better, you know, if you're picking something, it's better to pick something that's fresh squeezed. So usually in those settings, it'll have pulp, so that's yeah. actually good because it has... So what happens when you have fiber is that it actually takes a spike off of the sugar. Um, so when you're having juice that has no fiber in it, it your blood sugar just goes up. So what happens when you have sugar it makes you feel really good really quickly so you can eat your glass of juice let's say in the morning and a bowl of sugary cereal and you feel really great at eight o'clock in the morning by 10 o'clock if you're in school or if you're at work you're looking at your watch to see when you can have a break to have another snack because your blood sugar drops so quickly that's because you had these unrefined these sorry these refined sugars these white sugars that make your blood sugar spike you feel great and then drops down doesn't make you feel full you want to eat things that have a lot of fiber in it that keep you fuller for longer so that you don't have to snack throughout the day. So is it um, better to just have the fruit, have an exactly. orange fruit? Absolutely. I'll just give you an example. Mm. So 
an eight ounce glass of orange juice has 110 calories, and a Coca Cola can of Coca Cola has 140 calories. That's close. Yeah. So it's a lot of calories juice. It's a lot of empty calories, and that was in pediatrics. That was a huge problem for us because families were giving kids tons of apple juice, tons of juice. I mean, even at, at one point, I don't know if you're familiar with the WIC program. It's women, infant, children who are subsidized on Medicaid, they were getting subsidies for apple juice. So these kids were getting apple juice in school. They were getting apple juice from their food stamps. Mm -hmm. And they weren't having, they were just having tons of empty calories from juices. It was a huge movement by pediatricians to take apple juice out of these subsidy programs and out of the daycares. And it's really helped, you know, limit the growth of obesity in this country. What about this other thing that you see on TV being advertised, these weight loss supplements, the fat burners and things like that? Oh, well, those are usually false advertising 99% of the time, and they're, some of them are dangerous, you know. So things like dexedrin, anything that has a dexedrin component mm. will speed up your heartbeat. There's been multiple people who've had deaths from those because they can get in a fatal arrhythmia. It could interact with other medicine that you're taking. So... You know, we never, you have to be really careful with supplements. The supplement industry is a billion-dollar industry. And, I mean, recent articles you've probably heard in the news have come out saying that they've um, sent these supplements to labs and they don't even have any of the ingredients that they claim to have. And I always, I always remind patients that medicine goes through the FDA in this country. Right. But supplements go, only go through the U.S. Department of Treasury. You give them a list of the ingredients on the box. And then they put this disclaimer on it, this does not claim to cure you. You know, it won't cure your hypertension, your diabetes. So it's, you know, you're at, you're at the hands of these marketers. So you really don't know if you're getting what's in there. One, I doubt it will make you lose weight. Mm. And two, you'll just be losing tons of money where you could have put that money in other things like buying healthier foods probably. Now what about this, you know, you go to the candy store and they now have this fat-free candy. Can well, you eat that without guilt? No, because the sugar that's in these candies is going to turn into fat in your body. Um, so if you, like we were talking about, um, our favorite is licorice. So first of all, when you look at a serving size, a serving of like red licorice, you know, strips or ropes is four pieces. I've never just stopped at four pieces in my life. <laughs> so if you go to the movies or you're out with your friends and you eat the whole bag, you've probably eaten about 20 of them. And four, four of those have, you know, 140 calories. And if you've eaten 20, you've eaten five times that. Um, and people don't understand that. That's just marketing. It says, you know, this is what happened in the, in the 80s. Everything became fat-free, right? Fat-free, fat-free. And what they did was they just put more carbs in it, more sugar. And America got fatter. It's about so eating healthy fats, you know, things like avocado, olive oil, seeds, peanut butter, almond butter. But even when you're eating healthy, I'm getting the impression there's no loophole to lose weight. Um, mm -mm. You could overeat a healthy thing. Sure, sure. And that's about portion distortion. You know, um, I have patients who say, I go, you know, I go to these chain restaurants a lot. Like, um, I don't want to single one out, but there's several that you go on a Friday night. You go to a movie. You, you go to, um, like, Applebee's or Friday's, and you get the grilled Chinese chicken salad. Mm. And, and it's gigantic. It's enough for three people, you know, not one person. And sometimes the dressing that they put on the salads, have just the dressing alone has 1,000 calories, and you're only supposed to be eating 2,200 calories a day. So all your, you know, almost half of your calories just went on that dressing that went on that salad. So it's really, um, it's really difficult, and that's, that's uh, 
as a doctor, that's like the that's the hardest one of the hardest things for me is to try to have the time to educate people how to read labels, how to when you go to a restaurant now and you see calorie labels, what does that mean? What does that even mean to me when I'm looking at the calories? You know, lay people are not taught this. You don't learn this in school. Um, so it's, you have to become a really savvy consumer. And um, what we try to do with children who come through our program is teach them, are you label able? Can you read this label? Bring in your box of your favorite snack. How many portions are in that snack? You know, the kids come home and they take the bag of crackers from the shelf, and that might be 30, ba- 30 servings, and they eat half of it. So we, we try to teach them what a serving is. But with the parents, I try to say, I have a bowl, mm-hmm. and I'll say, show me what you give them for cereal in the morning. And I'll measure, they'll, they'll pour that bowl, and then I'll take a cup, a real measuring cup, and show them what that cup is and what that serving was supposed to be. Right. And most of those kids had three of those in that bowl. But, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to a restaurant and start looking at labels of calories and carbs and, and, and sort of, you know, it sort of spoils the, the pleasure of eating. But in my mind, you talk about portion control. Could you give me a rough idea, using the size of my palm, if I went out for a steak dinner, mm-hmm. I know it's going to be calorie-laden, but I can, I can reduce that by having an idea of portion control. Um, you get all these big steaks and, and you get all the big sides. Um, based on, on a size of a regular plate, how much of that surface area should each portion occupy? So the protein, first of all, an ideal plate shouldn't be the size of a dinner plate that's in these restaurants that we go to. An ideal plate is really more like the size of a salad plate. Mm-hmm. So so already we're <laughs> we're up against one one big barrier because we get these huge plates right. and Americans like big portions. Um, usually they say the ser- size of the serving of a protein should be exactly what you said, like the size of a, your palm of your hand or mm-hmm. a deck of cards. Um, and then half of that plate should be broken up um, into the vegetables and then a quarter of it should be the, the grain or the starch. Um, that's, that's very American. What I try to say, I'm, very, I'm much more into eating like a Mediterranean style diet or mm-hmm or Asian style where you don't have as many carbs on the plate. So I tell my patients, I've never had a patient really, honestly, who's overweight or obese become obese from eating too much lettuce or too much spinach. You know, it's, it's, they're really binging on the things like mashed potatoes or French fries on the plate. So I'll try to tell them to eat their, eat their greens first or eat their vegetables first, eat a salad first, then eat their protein. And only then try, if you want to have your carbs, like your French fries or your baked potato, then leave that last because you're already more full. Um, another good tip is if you're going out to the restaurant to share or um, if you know it's going to be a huge portion, you can say to the waiter, you know what, I want to have dessert tonight. I'm going to have just put half of the meal on my plate and pack half of it to go so you're not even tempted. But most of us don't do that. That would be, I would say, if you're really trying to lose weight. It's, like I said, it's all about balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried to lose weight, and I find sometimes I suffer from so-called fat days. Where it's uh, what's going on with my body at that point? Well, usually you um, you f- you know you are what you eat. It's it's really a good expression. And if you feel like you've been eating too many sugary treats or too many salty things, you you know salt makes you retain water. It makes you feel sluggish. Most of my patients, even before they lose a huge amount of weight, they will report that they feel so much better. They're sleeping better. That they when they're eating non-processed foods, they're their energy level is much higher. I mean, you have to remember that in processed foods, there's tons of chemicals, which I can't even begin to describe, but they do have an effect on your body, and especially the salt as well. Um, so for those days, you know, 
people often say they want to have a cleanse, and I don't really believe in a cleanse because you can't really cleanse your body. But when you start eating healthier in a few days without all that processed food, you will feel better. Um, so on those days when you're feeling really down and you know lazy and you're in your sweats and you don't want to put on your own clothes, those are the best days to like force yourself to get out and go go for a brisk walk outside or go you know go to the high school track and walk around it. Go snowing go you can go to a shopping mall and walk i mean you just need to get out sometimes go walk on the beach if you can you mentioned another interesting thing about you can't really cleanse your body but then this yeah. whole thing about colonic irrigation uh and, and and things like that you're not a fan of that no that's all the back to the same thing it's like a, it's a diuretic so you're pooping out everything that's in your body but you can't you can't cleanse your liver you cannot cleanse your kidneys no but you can cleanse your intestines yeah, and then you will physically weigh less because you've pooped all of the poop out of your body. <laughs> oh. It's all marketing. People love to be told, you know, anybody who does those cleanses will tell you that they gained all their weight back and more within, you know, a few months. Most, most... And why is that? Is that plans. because they thought they've lost so much weight so yes, quickly that they can exactly. now be free to eat? And your body doesn't sustain it because your body, we were, you know, the body has a set point. Mm. So if your body was 160 pounds before your cleanse and you went down to 150, your body thinks it's starving. You didn't do anything else but do the cleanse. You didn't exercise. You didn't change your diet. You're back to the way you were. That weight is going to come back and more. That's, that's what yo-yo dieting is. Is too much water bad for you? Because everywhere I go, everyone says, oh, you've got to have this many glasses of water a day. You've got to drink all the time. Yeah, so they used to have this, you know, eight glasses of water a day, you mm. know, eight, eight ounce glasses, so 64 ounces a day. That's not a magic number. Um, yeah, well, if you, if you have excessive water drinking and like those kids who do those in college who do those challenges, yes, those are ridiculous. You can't, you can drink too much water. Uh, most of us would never because you would stop because you would feel so bad. What I, what I think about what's good about water is that it fills you up physically. So if you know you're going to a holiday party, have two cups of water before you leave the house because your stomach is more full you just had something in there um but is water going to make you thinner no it's just a great option instead of having sweet drinks on the table i mean for kids it's really important to offer them water and not fruit punch and not you know soda and they should really have water or low-fat milk as their choices and then some of my friends claim to be on a gluten-free diet mm -hmm. and and that's what's helped them to lose weight so there are people who believe that being gluten-free helps them lose weight, but to be gluten-free, number one, you usually need a lot of money because being gluten-free, the gluten-free products cost a lot of money. But you can also be gluten-free and eat rice, you know, because rice doesn't have gluten, and you could eat potatoes. They don't have but gluten, it's but got carbs, right? Carbs, exactly. So gluten-free does not equal low, you know, dietetic and losing, losing weight. You know, if you're gluten-free and you eat things like quinoa and... Uh, you know, and nuts, of course you're going to lose weight because those things have less calories. Um, but you don't meet too many inner city people, people who are in the poverty level living gluten-free because it's extremely expensive and it's not practical. Most, most people are um, not gluten-sensitive. They're doing it because it's a fad. Now, what sort of foods on a daily basis do we really need to sort of be mindful of? Because at breakfast time you have a cereal, but then you look at the back and you look at the label and, and, and some of the, the numbers on, on the calories and the carbs are quite horrendous. Right. So, the, so a, simple, a simple rule of thumb is when you look at a cereal box, you don't want the sugar to be one of the first three ingredients. Because the ingredient label reads with the majority of the ingredients first and it goes decreasing from there. Mm -hmm. So a good rule of thumb is not to have sugar as one of the first three ingredients in a cereal. Um, you have to also be careful of 
very tricky advertising, how they'll say it's organic cane sugar or molasses, because that's all sugar, but they make you think that it's healthy. Um, the Yale Rudd Center at Yale has a great list. It's called Cereal Facts, and you can, you can look at it online, mm-hmm. and it ranks uh, the 50 healthiest cereals from poorest quality to best. And I give that list to families all the time. It's very useful. But instead of cereal, is there a better alternative? Well, you could do, you know, doing the same thing for breakfast every day is awful because it gets boring. People do cereal because it's quick. Yeah, there are so many alternatives. You can do hard-boiled eggs and a piece of whole grain bread with some peanut butter on it. You can do a whole wheat um, slice of French toast. You can mm. do, a, for you know, in the kids especially, they do yogurt tubes in the morning. Um mozzarella part skim cheese stick to take to go it has protein and i even say if you do eat something sugary like a bowl of cereal that's you know one of these mass marketed to children balance it with something with a protein like a piece of turkey breast or a piece of cheese in the morning because that will take off that sugar spike that makes you feel so high and happy and it will keep your sugar levels more balanced well the other spike is coffee mhm so i'm guilty as charged. I love coffee, but I take my coffee with skim milk and uh, a sweetener mm-hmm. that is not sugar. So, um, I read somewhere that half and half is better than skim milk. Is that true? I, no, I never read that. I don't think so. I'll just give you an example. Mm-hmm. So an eight-ounce coffee, which is really small, right? So an eight-ounce coffee with skim milk and no sugar has 13 calories, or and a 12-ounce cup of coffee with low-fat milk and no sugar has about 20 to 30 calories. If you get a coffee with milk and, uh, sorry, if you get a coffee with cream and sugar, it's about 75 calories. So it's three times the amount of calories you had in that skim milk, or you can take it black with a sugar substitute or not even having sugar. Mm. You know, sometimes you can, it's a really, it's a learned habit to have coffee with sugar and cream. Um, and that person will say, oh, but doctor, I really need that coffee in the morning. And I'll say, just try not to add the sugar. And the problem is, is that most of my patients are not adding one sugar. They're adding like five sugars to a cup of coffee. It's like syrup, you know. So it's, it's, these are all addictions that we have to break. And, and it's hard to stop drinking coffee. If you, drink, if you stop drinking coffee and you've ha- just had one cup of coffee a day, you will have severe headaches for about two months just from that caffeine withdrawal. So, so then how, to, do, how do you ease your coffee. patients into it? Well, I just say you can continue having your coffee, but let's try these options. You can have, you know, non-fat milk, or you can go down from, from whole milk to, to the 1% milk. And instead of using, um, instead of using sugars, you can use, a, you know, a, I, like, I prefer Splenda, but you can use Splenda or you can use, a, you know. Um, but again, isn't aspartame. that a chemical? It is a chemical, but I've never had a patient that died from aspartame poisoning. I mean, we have... We have children who are type 1 diabetics. These are kids who have autoimmune diabetes, and they have to be on sugar-free diet their whole lives, right? They, mm. they can never have sugar. They have insulin pumps. All these children eat sugar substitutes, but I've never had a patient that have ever died from having a sugar substitute. Never. They never had cancer because of it. You know, these studies are in rats. So it's all about moderation. Of course, if you can do something natural, they have Truvia. They have, you know, Stevia as a sweetener. 
I, I personally don't love the taste of it, but I have friends who love it and use that as a sweetener. Or even better, let's stop having the sweet. You know, it's a, that craving. It's like this vicious cycle that we go back to that we want that sweet all the time. Let's try to do it without. Or you know what? In, if you're going to have the Danish with the coffee, the Danish is your sweet, and just mm. like make the coffee with no sweetener in it, and let's see if we could do that for a week. And and you'd be amazed. It's just that sometimes it just needs the. It's not that hard to do. You just need somebody to light that fire in you that you want to do it, that you want to make these little changes, and they really add up. And that's a, that's a goal with most families that we have. It's like I'm not trying to change your life in a day. I'm not coming in and cleaning out your cabinets and throwing everything in the garbage. Let's make small changes. Let's stop having soda at dinner. Let's stop putting sugar in our coffee. Just what, what can I do that's going to make it easy for you to mm. be a little bit healthier and get through your life a little bit healthier? Well, what I'm, what I'm getting from you is – Dieting is useless, um, and and I accept that. I accept that. So, I mean, if you're really serious about, I guess, losing weight, you have to be really, really serious about changing your lifestyle. Exactly, exactly, and that's why it's called life. You know, many doctors have offices that say lifestyle medicine. We are mm. practicing lifestyle medicine, and I, you know, we need the word diet in our lingo because that's how we communicate with each other. But when my patients come in and they say, "Doctor, how long am I going to be on this diet for?" and I say oh, this is not a discussion that we're going to have because we're changing your lifestyle. We are making lifelong changes that you can live with, and you're not going to want to go back to the way you were. Doesn't that add to the depression, though? No, because they feel so much better when they're getting healthier. You, I can't tell you, I mean, why I love my job, because two weeks after these patients come in and they come back with these huge smiles on their face because they feel so much better and they know they're getting healthier. You know, I'm... I never talk about what size clothes they're going to wear or a goal of getting into a prom dress or a wedding dress. Mm. Um, It's about being healthy. And when you feel better, you act better, and everything in your life is better. So um, I don't think it's depressing. I think it's the exact opposite, that you know that you can do it, that this is, you know, we have to live a balanced life. We're going to have weddings. We're going to have Halloween. We're going to have plenty of times that we're going to have sweets and, you know, time to celebrate. But if we, if we eat balance most of the time, we can have those slices of pizza on Friday night or, you know, the pasta dish that you want with your family. Well, my biggest problem in dieting and, and all this lifestyle is, is I prefer the diet to the lifestyle change because if I do a lifestyle change, that means I won't be able to binge ever again. If I do a diet, it's like if I reach this certain level of weight, then I can have that whole extra large pizza. Well, I wouldn't want anybody to have a, a whole pizza because that is ridiculous. Oh, it's that, yummy. They, you have to try it. <laughs> but that's, that's not the norm. Most people don't sit down and eat a piece of pizza. Most people will come in and say, I want three slices of pizza, but they don't eat the whole pie. Mm. So that's, a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other segment we can go into eating disorders. But for the most part, people eat for a reason. They eat it because it makes them feel good. So eating can, food is love. Food is how you were raised. Your grandmother cooked for you. You were rewarded with food. Mm. You know, that's, um, that's a thing that really bothers me. You know, like parents who say uh, to their children, like, oh, if you're good for the doctor when you get shots, we'll get McDonald's on the way home. You know, food should never be a reward. Food should be there all the time. Mm-hmm. And rewards can be books or prizes or stickers. Um, oh, God. But it's very psychological that food is a reward. But let me, t- let me ask you this. Um, the other impression I'm getting from you is that you can actually lose weight without exercise, which is great, as long as you portion control? 
right. Some people can. Not everybody can oh. because everybody has a different genetic makeup. So I do have patients who lose weight without doing exercise. Mm. I would say the most are not. There are many... It's very controversial whether exercise helps you lose weight or keeps weight off. Um, what I can say is that in the largest study of weight maintainers, people who have lost 10% of their body weight and kept it off for two years or longer, mm. mo- the majority of those weight maintainers who are successful exercise five days a week. And by exercise, it's just walking. Um, they, they walk five days a week. So okay. I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. When you do lose weight with exercise, mm-hmm. um, there, it's a known fact that you reach a plateau, that below which you don't lose anymore. Right. Why, why is that? Because your body has, set a new, has developed a new set point. So if you were, let's say, 270 pounds for 15 years, mm-hmm. and you went down to 200 pounds now successfully, um, your body is going to slow down its metabolism because it thinks that you're starving. So you're gonna, you know, this is when, when people stop you know, and go back to their old habits because they get, they get very depressed and very sad. Oh, the diet stopped working. And we say, no, you just have to change it up. Your body has a new set point, and your new set point is 200, and you have to step up the game. You have to eat different foods. You have to exercise more. You have to do different exercise. So if you were going to, you know, spinning class four days a week, I want you to take it to, you know, uh, a Zumba class or something. I want you to go work out with a trainer. Something different. You have to just you have to be willing to try. Listen, there's a huge genetic component of of obesity and many many people will once they break that healthy cycle will automatically go back to gain weight again. So, well, it, you know, it it's I'm sorry, go on. Here's my question. Um you're talking about your body getting used to a certain rhythm. Mhm. If your rhythm is change so one day Zumba, one day aerobics, and, 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 right. and, and, and you keep doing that. Then again, you're going to plateau, right? Because your body's used to change. Um, it's not if you can push yourself harder. Not oh, if you can push God. yourself harder. I know. You know what? Listen, obe- this, is why I, this is why it's so mm. hard to treat weight loss and obesity, because people give up. So you're like on the opposite end of the spectrum. I have had so much success with so many families that the whole I don't give up. Changes. I haven't even started. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's even worse because you're so down about it. It's not, you know, there are there is help for you. There's doctors. I mean, I don't even know if you're overweight, but there are doctors out there mm. who who are really passionate about this and who can guide you. I mean, simple changes like not adding salt to your food. Right. You know, don't cook with salt at home. When you go to a restaurant, don't pick up the salt before you taste the food. That's going to help you lose weight. It's it's oh, very so much fun. It's very subtle, but um, but you can people can do it. They just need to have the right attitude that they want to get better. And it's, and it's not about how you look as much as it's about being healthy. I mean, the risk for diabetes, hypertension, arthritis, joint problems. I mean, the list goes on and on. Worsened asthma in children, sleep problems. I mean, obesity affects every part of your life. So, this so is the, 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 these are the potential diseases that can be impacted mm-hmm. by obesity. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, you're the medical director of Gramercy Pediatrics in New York City, right? Correct. Um, is obesity genetic? 50 to 80 percent of obesity is genetic. There is about 97 areas on the human genome that we know that confer a tendency to become obese. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that unless uh, we have a cure for that, which we don't at this point, 
most people have to be treated the same way with environment, lifestyle, and for some adults, there are new medicines that are on the market that are prescription medicines, not supplements that you get at, you know, at the pharmacy mm-hmm. that have been really helpful in patients losing weight. And there's also metabolic surgery, bariatric surgery that has been life-changing for obese people who have severe complications you know, with their health. And, and that's a game changer. These are people who are giving, being given a new lease on life. So there are options, but you know, when we talk about genetics, yes, yeah, somebody who has a syndrome like Prader-Willi, we know that that child will grow up to an ob- be an obese adult. If you have congenital hypothyroidism, you'll be obese. But um, those are not the common things. So if we find a family that has a rare receptor disorder that confers obesity upon them, the most that we're going to have to do is lifestyle. So obesity diet. is not necessarily self-inflicted then? No, it's not about being lazy. Some, some, some part of it could be about not you know, there's definitely people who stay home and eat, you know, bags of Cheetos all day and don't get off the couch. And yes, that's self-inflicted, but there is definitely a genetic tendency for certain people to be more overweight, without a doubt. And what's the cure for that? Lifestyle. Like we said, lifestyle, exercise, and it can, can be controlled. Like I said, they might not get down to the size that they want to in their clothing, mm-hmm. but their metabolic profile, their blood tests, their blood pressure will be will be very good, can be very good. Does one need to have been obese before they give birth to the child in order for the child to get a, uh, have a... Oh, no, but if a mother is obese, mm-hmm. there's a much higher rate for her child to be obese. And if a mother has gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. regardless if she is obese or not, then her infant will have a much higher rate of becoming obese as, a, as an adult. So now when these kids come to you, suffering from obesity, what are the first things that you prescribe? Um, Well, I ask them to keep a food diary and to be really honest with me, to write down every single thing they eat and drink for three days and Mm -hmm. any activity they do. And what do you notice when they write before and after? What are they doing beforehand? Oh, they're eating all day. All day. Jolly Rancher here, came home, had a bag of chips, got on the bus, had another bag of chips, got off the bus, went with my friends to Girl Scouts, baked cookies, came home, baked brownies for the school the next day. I mean, it's a constant supply of food. It's unbelievable how much mindless eating is going on. And what I try to create is mindful eating, that they're conscious. And, and I mean, that's what all the parents say to me, I mean, over and over again. Listen, I am not a 100% cure-all rate, right? I can only help people who want to be helped. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Every single day, people say to me, Dr. Hess, you can't believe how mindful my kid is. Like, it's not a fight anymore. Like, they'll come home from school, and they won't run to the cabinet, and they'll say, I ate my orange slices on the bus, and, and that's, that's it until dinner. They said they realized how much empty, you know, eating they were doing because they were bored or because they were watching TV or playing video games, you know? So you're prescribing three meals a day and, and leaving it at that? Three meals a day and two small snacks. Um, but some people, that doesn't work for them. Some, some kids need five small meals a day, and I'm fine with that as well. For me, it's more of what they're eating and the portion sizes. Um, so we really talk about the ideal plate and what you should have on your plate and having kids serve dinner on a salad plate, not on a huge dinner plate. Um, we talk about seconds and um, waiting, you know, waiting 10 minutes. When, if you ask your mom for a second bowl of pasta and she says, no, you don't have a tantrum, you wait 10 minutes, and then you see if you're still really hungry. Because sometimes it's just learned behavior. Within young teenagers, how many glasses of milk should they be drinking a day? 
Um, any, it does, any children should mm. have three servings of low-fat dairy a day. That's what we recommend for bones. So it doesn't have to only be milk, but you can have, you know, if you, some people do almond milk, some people do soy, but it should be three servings of low-fat milk or a replacement like that. So a piece of cheese, a yogurt, cottage cheese, um, smoothie sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, but, but for bones, you know, it's the calcium that's important. So if you get the calcium from somewhere else, because a lot of families don't like to drink dairy, they do it from soy or almond milk, but that's okay. But, you know, as kids are growing, I mean, it's it's very hard to sort of dictate portion control, isn't it? Because obviously the body needs more food. It is, but I'll just tell you. So my kids, I have tons of food in my house, tons of food. You would never know what I do for a living. But because I taught my kids to eat healthy, they will come home and they will take one piece of chocolate and then they'll ask for cantaloupe or like, mom, can you heat up some lentil soup? Mm. Because that's, that's what they've been taught to like. So they don't go and raid the cabinet. And what is amazing to me, and I, I could do a sociological study on playdates at my house, is that all of their friends who grew up in very strict households where the parents have very strict, you know, dietary rules, they come to my cabinet and they raid it like it's like, you know, Christmas. And it's because it's been restricted. So it's about having discipline because you know it's there and it won't be taken away, but you like cucumbers as a snack because that's what you really love because that's what you were taught. So it's about starting early. It's really about starting early. It's about the hardest part for me is getting these kids to try things because they've never been served. I mean, I have patients who've never had a banana, have never tasted a raisin. I've I've had patients, I mean, you can't imagine. I had families that said... They eat deep-fried peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. So I said, mm, I've never even heard of that. And they said, Dr. Hess, you can throw anything in the deep fryer. So, <laughs> so it's, about, it's really about educating the families. And, and usually they're very appreciative. It's very rare that I have a family that doesn't come back or doesn't say, say this was so eye-opening for us. It depends how you were raised a lot of times. No, even now, I mean, I, I read some health magazines when I'm really bored, um, and, and I'm finding that even among fruits, there are bad fruits and good fruits. Right, like mango is very starchy, bananas are very starchy. I mean, what's going on? You know, Too many grapes. Um, but like I said, if you're a healthy weight, especially with children, I don't really restrict, unless you have diabetes. And there aren't many of us around with a healthy weight. It's about moderation. Nobody needs to eat four mangoes. You don't eat three plums at a time. So it's about, you know... It's about making the right choices. It's it's. Well, you know, what are the people, top three healthiest fruits? I don't think that, there's. I don't think there's. Pomegranate is extremely healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, blueberries. Berries are very good. They have full of antioxidants. Tomatoes, antioxidants, great for you. Um, celery is a great snack. It's a vegetable and carrots, but but honestly, it's like very very rare that people overdose on those. It's more. I would say it's more like people who overdose on doing the juices because the juices taste so much better. So they'll drink three juices a day but not lose any weight. Are grapes good for you? Grapes are fine, but 15 grapes is a serving. Most people don't know that. That's it? Yeah. What about about a banana? A banana is good, but it's starchy. So I say that, you know, if you're trying to lose weight three times a week, Mm -hmm. it's a very good source of potassium, though. For kids, I don't usually restrict a banana if they're healthy. Mm -hmm. The only time we really restrict it is makes them constipated. <laughs> That's about it. Right, right, right. But, you know, the other thing is is that people often get confused and think I'm a nutritionist, and I'm not a nutritionist. I'm a doctor, and I'm there to give them, you know, parents often come to me and families come to me and they want me to make them a meal plan. 
And there are people who need that, definitely adults, that really want that meal plan and need that structure. But what I try to give people are tools, you know, that they can go home and implement this. I want you to take the stairs instead of the elevator if you live on the fourth floor. I want you to park further away from the door to the mall and walk a little bit more. You know, little practical tools that they could incorporate in their lives to be healthier every day. What do you find that's a common factor in the, in the psychological mindset of your patients? That food is comfort. Food makes you junk food, mm. salty food, sweet food. If you get teased in school, you come home and you eat a bag of Oreos and it feels really good to eat those Oreos. Especially the young ones, they don't know the consequences or really understand it. The teenagers do more so and then they feel shameful. You know, they're very depressed afterwards because they said, oh, I just ate that bag and I know I shouldn't have, right. but I didn't know what to do. Often they don't have an outlet to verbalize their frustrations or a family member that they can talk to or a guidance counselor. So it's really about communication and saying to your kid, why did you just do that? Or, you know, those are red flags if parents find wrappers stuck in the couch, you know, sneak eating, things like that. But food is food tastes good. <laughs> Their kids are bombarded all day by commercials. You know, they see these commercials on TV for every kind of snack under the sun. You, you walk into the supermarket and you put your child in the cart, in the grocery cart, mm -hmm. and these marketers have spent their whole life figuring out exactly where to put that box of cereal with Dora the Explorer or SpongeBob that's going to be the eye level of your three-year-old in the food cart. So, you know, they're, they're brainwashed. So how do you address the psychological disorder then? Well, I try to do some motivational interviewing with these children. I mm -hmm. try to see if they're ready for change. Are you, are you here because you want to be here? Are you here because your mom wants you to be here? Are you here because your doctor told you to come here? Um, and sometimes they're not ready to change. And then I say to the parents, you know, I'm, I'm welcoming you back. You can come as much as you like, but I don't think your child is ready to change. Just like an adult has to decide, just like a person has to decide if they want to stop smoking or not. Um, but sometimes we do have to send these kids for counseling. And, you know, I often get the same answer. I say, do you get bullied in school? And the parent will answer, not the child. And the parent said, no, they're so popular. She's the funniest girl in the class. She's so popular. Mm. And they're the class clown. They get invited to all the birthday parties. But that's almost like a defense mechanism because they're so overweight that they create a little niche for themselves to compensate so they don't get teased for their weight they'll be the funniest kid. But and, they will you know, confess it to you, though. Yes. And it's amazing. I have to often send the parents out of the room, you know, to get that. Or the parents will say, no, they're not teased at all. And then I see the tears well up in the child's eyes, mm -hmm. you know. And it's hard. It's hard for the parents to see. They, everybody starts crying all of a sudden. I said, my job isn't to make you cry, but I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. And, yes, a lot of times I need to consult with a psychologist because I'm not a psychologist or a social worker. Um, to help with these issues because kids are bullied, we know. I mean, we know that in kindergarten there have been studies that the child who's obese will less likely be played with than a child who only has one arm. Wow. So another kindergarten would, ch would play with a child who only has one arm before they would invite the, the fat kid to play with them. Well, we're nearing the end of the show, but what are the three simple steps that people can take on their journey of losing weight right after this show? Three Stop your sugary, stop sugary sweetened drinks. So easy. You can cut out. Hunt. I tell my patients if you drink a soda a day mm -hmm. and you stop it for a week, you will lose a pound. Even though vitamin waters, the mineral water, all of, all, unless they say zero on them that mm. they have no sugar, they all have sugar. 
I mean, every study has shown that even in NBA basketball players, you only need water to be replenished. You do not need <laughs> sports drinks. Um, that's always a trick question on the medical boards, actually. Uh, there's no need for sports drinks. Um, one, two, do not cook with salt. Do not cook with salt. Do not cook with salt and only add salt afterwards if you need to for taste. Mm -hmm. and, and three is try to walk more during your day. Get a pedometer to measure how many steps you are going a day. Try to go 10,000 steps a day. They're, they're available on your smartphones. You can buy them for $10 online. Um, try to take the stairs instead of the elevator. Get off one bus or a subway or train stop earlier. Go for a walk after dinner. Things that, things that our grandparents did that we don't do anymore. That's what we need to do. We need to go back to 1950. Very quickly, I try and cheat a lot. So when I try and cook my roast chicken, I add bacon to it and not salt. Mm -hmm. Am I still... No, that's even worse. That's, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's delicious. Oh, it is. Heavenly. Um, Dr. Hess, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, I'm at um, Gramercy Pediatrics, mm -hmm. and it's www.gramercy, G-R-A-M-E-R-C-Y, pediatrics.com, and I'm in, in New York City on uh, 67 Irving Place, and I'm also I work at Cornell, uh, Wild Cornell Medical Center. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I hope today's show enlightened you in your journey to get to your right body weight. Follow me on Twitter at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page. Just type in Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.